Welcome to Equivalence by Evelist, a mission-based initiative offering an unbiased source of info to people who aspire to make informed decisions and grow their career in companies who care about gender equity. I am Sophie Luray, and in this podcast, I want to open a dialogue about the notion of equivalence and how it looks like in everyday personal actions and corporate decisions. I invite change agents, men and women who are making it happen in their team, industry, and communities to talk about their journey, their practical tips, their moments of doubt and epiphanies. I hope you enjoy it and tell us what you want to hear about at hello at evelist.org. Hello, and welcome to Equivalence Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Jean-Michel Monod on male allyship and relying men to the gender parity conversation. Jean-Michel built his career in the corporate world. During 25 years at Sodexo, a French multinational group that is leading in food and management facilities around the world, Jean-Michel was carrying out commercial and operational management functions to become the vice president for the group for diversity and inclusion. And then based on this extensive experience in the field, Jean-Michel founded a few years ago a free-spirited consultancy called All Inclusive, whose mission is to boost performance through inclusion. He has also been a member of the Higher Council for Gender Equality, the French governmental body, whose mission is to ensure consultation with civil society and to animate the public debate on the main orientations of women's rights and equality policies. He is the founder and the vice president of an NGO called Diversité, and he also joined the EDEC Open Leadership Innovation Center as an associate expert, and he's the co-author of the book Gender Balance, When Men Step Up. Since 2018, he partners with Catalyst as a facilitator for their program called MARC, Men Advocating Real Change. Jean-Michel Monod was born in Burgundy. He now lives in Normandy. And since we both are French, you are probably going to hear a lot of French accent, but we are still going to carry this conversation in English to make sure that a larger audience can participate to the conversation. So, Jean-Michel, thank you very much for accepting our invitation. And I want to start our conversation by a simple question that comes from back in the days, back in your corporate days, when you attended our World Economic Forum in Abu Dhabi. I remember your passion for gender parity advocacy. And I remember as well thinking, hmm, this is a conversation we need to have with men. So what led you on this path, following a career in the operational part of the business? I think that the main reason why I decided to work on diversity and inclusion, and especially on gender diversity, is a strong sense of fairness. And my partners, Catalyst, they usually say that it's the first condition for men to be committed to gender equality is this stronger sense of fairness. I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't accept to see uh, inequalities or people uh, treated differently. And when I started to work in the 80s, that was the period where there was a lot of noise around inequalities between people due to their skin color or whatever. 
And in the 80s, I also discovered a song. I will always remember that, a song from a French singer called Renault. And this song was about men and women having different ways of interacting in the world and the inequalities that women have to endure. So this is really mm -hmm. this, uh, this sense of fairness. And also having had the chance to, to meet some very committed men And probably the most important one in my life has been Michel Landel, the former CEO of Sodexo. Yeah, very, very famous for being a male ally to, uh, to women, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was, I was saying earlier on that at the time we met, there wasn't so many men allies that were so engaged, at least in the conference world of uh, women conference. And you were, I'm not sure you know that, but you were part of my getting to understand how, I'd say, important, how crucial it is to avoid that feeling, that cozy feeling of being in between us at a woman event. I had this sense that the echo chamber was something that was nice because, you know, we would get together <laughs> and to listen to each other's experience and, and sometimes complain about you guys uh, not leaving us enough space in the workplace. But this is very much, you know, listening to the sound of your own voice and it doesn't make you grow. So having men being part of the conversation brings a total different game. And I want to know what your opinion is on, on what we need to do to make that change happen and to get men to rally our cause because there's not enough yet in the part of this conversation. First, I think we do not have any choice. We have to include men in this discussion. When I started working on, on diversity and inclusion 15 years ago, the conversations were probably mainly saying, okay, we have a problem with women, or women have a problem in the workplace. And actually, that was the wrong way of looking at things. The problem is the companies or the workplaces, generally speaking, that are not inclusive for everyone. It's not the fault, the responsibility of women only. So, of course, men have to play a, a role. But the challenge is how can we help them to understand that they have a role to play? Because as long as you think that this is a female problem, you can think, okay, I support you, ladies. Can you discuss and come back with some concrete proposition to us? And we'll make it happen. We'll do uh, everything we can to support you. If I'm not In the discussion, I see it from far, I don't feel involved, and I won't be committed. So that's where the challenge is. If we limit the discussion to women, that's a problem. If we open it to gender and say, how can we better live together, benefit from uh, individuals uh, in an organization, then it's more inclusive. And that's, by the way, perhaps the main message is move from diversity to inclusion. If we want gender diversity, we need to be inclusive. Yeah. And so to be inclusive, you need 50% of the world to help the other 50%. So it's a joint effort, and there is no way we can progress without the full commitment, the full engagement of men in the workplace. Otherwise, they will always resist saying, okay, you know, we are the leaders from the very beginning. It's been centuries since we, we've been leading at least companies. Uh, why should we change? It worked. So including men requires a lot of effort because they don't get it by nature. So we need to help them to, 
train them with women also to just understand that they can have a kind of a responsibility, but they can also play a, a positive role. Not easy to do, but I think there is no way we can progress without uh, having men and women together in this mission. For sure. Just simply the fact most uh, executive committees are made of men. Yes. And that's where the decisions are being made. So if they're not on board, no decision that has anything to do with gender parity will ever take place. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. You're men, right? Yeah. So you know, what do they think? <laughs> what do you guys think? Because I'd love to be a fly on the wall sometimes <laughs> and thinking, knowing, you know, what's going on in an executive committee made only of men when, when on the agenda, one of the items is, what do we do with women in the workplace? What do we do with gender parity? How do we fund some of the activities of the women group? Because it's often what you were saying is, that, okay, we have a women group and they're supposed to take care of that, right? So what do they say to each other? How do they see this? I think they would like to be positive, to be benevolent and support. But if they have this position being outside of uh, the mission, that's always the risk to just be supportive. Being supportive is not in us. It's, it's to be involved. Why should we do that? And probably there is a work to be done in explaining to men why there is a need to, uh, to work on more gender diversity. And the why is not only the business case, you know, the, uh, we tend to focus a lot about the good reasons for a company to be uh, more diverse and especially uh, gender diverse. And we think, okay, we know that some companies, when they have a better gender balance, they have a higher level of profitability or whatever. And we think that men in executive committees will be convinced by these kind of arguments. I don't believe in it at all, to be honest. What I've seen working in companies, and that's what I do in my daily job, I interact a lot with executive committees. I never start a conversation by saying, you know, you will earn more money if you are gender diverse. The first thing for me is to move from the head to the heart, meaning if business case was enough to convince people, okay, a book or a good um, video would be enough. But it's not enough for people to understand, and especially for men. We have to put them in a situation where they can feel things, when they can express their emotions and link it with their personal lives. So I mentioned, to answer your first question, this sense of fairness. I think it's really a key element if we want to engage men, touch their heart, show them that it's not possible to be unfair with 50% of the world. And it works. So I use a lot of videos. And when you see all these gentlemen in a boardroom watching a video where you have children saying, okay, it's not fair to treat people differently, they are touched. They are touched. So we should not focus on the brain of people, but to connect the brain and the heart so they can do something. I think that the majority of men want to do things well. And they are sensitive. And especially in the past years, I think uh, the level of awareness has uh, improved, increased, but we are not yet there. So we do put an effort on uh, touching them. And the only way to do that is to uh, give them opportunities to experience something. So having workshops, but concrete workshops, uh, not teaching sessions, but a workshop where they can feel what it means to be 
different, to be uh, treated differently, is probably a way to engage them a bit deeper. It's interesting what you're saying. You're the second person this week that told me the exact same thing, that the business case is great, but that's not what changes, transforms people really from the inside. It's actually when the heart is touched. And it's interesting as well to think often how men have a almost an epiphany when they're father of daughters. And I know many feminists feel like a, it's not the right thing to say, I'm the father of a daughter, therefore I understand it. But it's by that, that because the heart has been touched, they see their daughter going through something maybe more challenging or having less opportunities. And then it suddenly hits the head that, oh, well, why is my daughter not having the same opportunity than my son? Yeah, we, we cannot imagine that we will engage or convince uh, men because men are also individuals. And this argument about uh, being a, a father of daughters can work sometimes. And, uh, but in the same time, you men have been uh, fathers of daughters for centuries and uh, still it's, uh, it has created <laughs> inequalities and, uh, and unfair treatments. I think there is unfortunately no way to avoid the time that we need to take with each person. Each person has his uh, own... Um, way of learning. So that's why I think the business case limited to profitability. I've never seen it working, but there are some elements that can be discussed. For instance, there is a, a research that was conducted at the MIT and the Carnegie Mellon in the US about collective intelligence and how can we measure the IQ of a group. I don't know if you know about this research, but that was very interesting to see that uh, Actually, you can assess the IQ of a, a group of people. And there are two main lessons from this research. One is the group IQ has nothing to do with the individual IQ of its members. And the second information that is critical is the IQ grows with gender diversity. So the more diverse, the more talented huh. you are, the more clever, let's say, the group is. That's a, another way to look at things. It's just right sense, but uh, common sense, but that helps sometimes. You were mentioning as well building the empathy and, and walking, I guess, in the shoes of the other sex. A few months back, I uh, experienced that through a session with a virtual Oculus Rift tool, and you were actually going through the experience of a day in the shoes of someone totally different than you. And I've seen definitely men increasing really exponentially their empathy towards women in the workplace after doing that. It was very interesting. That's absolutely critical. And you mentioned the fact that I'm a trainer with Catalyst for Mark Men Advocating mm. for Change. It's actually a, a two-day program where men and women can have conversations and also experience things. So what, what does it mean to, to be a, a minority? Because some, mm -hmm. in boardrooms, women are minorities sometimes. And if you don't have that experience, you will never realize what it means, how it feels for you. So providing this kind of safe environment where men can discover things, but it can also be very true for women because I will never say that 100% of women are conscious and committed to, uh, to gender equality. But living those experiences definitely helps and can be a aha moment. Yeah. That's what we are looking at. If we have this uh, aha moment, then we can decide to do things and take it seriously. 
definitely. Tell me something, um, you know, the big theme of gender biases, it's like the never-ending story. How is there that there's still actually gender biases after so many years of evangelization, of training, of sessions, of talking about it, exercising against gender biases, having, you know, surveys and all sorts of sessions. Why is it still there? And I'd like to have your opinion and, and as well your experience in it, because you've been encountering many, 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 many organizations. First thing is, uh, okay, it's been uh, perhaps 15, 20 years since the most committed companies have started to work on addressing biases and conscious biases, especially on gender in the workplace. But if you look at the length of the history, it's almost nothing. And what I see today, and I work with a lot of companies, the level of consciousness of those biases is very low, very low. So I I would never say that we've done the effort. It's only at the very beginning of this journey. But even with companies, they have done some work on it. It's not in us. So I would love to say you just have to train your people on unconscious biases and things will change. We know that alone, training will not be efficient. That's what I discuss with my my clients. My clients are usually um, global companies. And what I'm telling them is there is no way you can progress on that without making it a very strategic part of your strategy. So it's not an initiative to work on this topic, initiative meaning there is a starting point Mm. and an ending point. And if you take it seriously, then you have to build a strategy, meaning that first thing is you have to show your commitment and show your commitment. It's not only once a year on the 8th of March because it's International Women's Day. It's all year long. You have to allow resources, not only on trainings, but also on initiatives. For instance, the Will Forum was a, and is a, a very concrete initiative that helps companies to drive their journey to, uh, to towards in- inclusion. But you know, it's not in us. You have to do a lot of things. So, in addition to trainings, you have to have concrete actions. You look at uh, the way you recruit people, the way you promote people, how you move your networks. For instance, you mentioned these women networks. I'm a strong advocate for gender networks replacing women networks, but I think uh, we need to include men. Even if I understand that there is a need for, let's say, safe discussion with women only too, and maybe some for, for men too. But tackling unconscious bias just by training is not in us. So you need a strategy with different uh, elements and you need to measure the impact of things. So how can we measure things? We can measure diversity by counting people. So you can count the number of men and women at all levels of the company. But the most important thing is how do you measure inclusion? You will never progress on diversity and gender diversity especially if you do not progress on inclusion. And that's where you need also to ask people. The only way to know if people feel included is to ask their perception. It's very personal. Yeah. This topic must be addressed as seriously as you would address the development of a a new branch of your activity or whatever. It has to be driven from the top. You have to have resources, you have to have KPIs, objectives, and it has to be included in the normal, let's say, daily job of people. It's not an additional thing. 
it's something that needs to be involved in uh, embedded in the responsibilities of people in, in an organization. So training only will never change things. You have to do trainings plus overseeing initiatives, mentoring, sponsoring, networking, communication, and uh, do it on a continuous rhythm. That starts with a very concrete and strong belief from the leader. Yeah. And from the leaders of the organization as well. If they are not on board and they don't see this as a business item, as important as the new product launch or as it's never going to happen because it's relayed down the, the organization to uh, maybe the training department or the learning and development, but it's not a business item fully fledged, right? Yeah, you need leaders. You need the role models and they can be men or mm. women. But uh, obviously, there are more male leaders than uh, female leaders at the top of, of the organization. But uh, we mentioned the example of Michel Landel. I've met, uh, for instance, I work in France uh, with the bank uh, Crédit Mutuel Arkea, and the, the commitment came from the top. The, the CEO of the company has been very clear. We need to move forward. We need to progress on that. And I will be involved from that. And he was really the more than the champion. He was uh, leading the way. And that works only with that. That's yeah. the step of a stair. And if you look at companies progressing on diversity and uh, on gender, all of them have a committed leader. Very often, these people are very humble because they say, okay, we are not good enough. And I want to progress, but they put their weight, their uh, involvement uh, really on the table to make it uh, strong for everyone. No way you progress without that. I was about to ask you what was the, the recipe of companies, because often you see companies that have hired diverse talents quite well. I've experienced it a lot where I, I used to live in, I used to live in Dubai. So it was a, a multicultural nation. So by essence, teams were diverse, but very few got the recipe right. There was always something missing. And it's that sense of belonging that makes you want to you know, contribute and, and be part of something that is bigger than just you or your uh, department or your role. So why is that in your views that inclusion is so hard to get to? You know, if you recruit, for instance, uh, uh, for uh... 20 women to join a company to increase the number of uh, women leaders in a company, but you don't change anything in the company culture, that this culture is still uh, very male-dominated. These women won't succeed, and they will leave, or they will be fired, and uh, there will be this mindset saying, okay, look, we've tried. We've recruited women, and it, it didn't work. So being inclusive means being open to challenge the status quo and say, okay, what are the, the main elements of our culture? How does it fit with diversity? And it's a long, long, long-term process. You cannot change the culture of a company overnight by just by clicking your fingers. It doesn't work. So that's where you need to educate, but also to align and say, okay, what are we talking about? Where do we want to go to align people on a, a common vision of, of, of the things? And that's Always the first thing I do after the, the commitment from the top is let's define what we are talking about. What do we want? Yeah. And explain what inclusion means. If you ask 10 people around you, what do you mean with inclusion? I'm not sure you will get concrete answers. Not easy. So that's where we need also to be active. But recruitment is one element that can, let's say, quite easily be addressed 
the most challenging one is how do we change the culture of our organizations. Companies have been made by men for men. And uh, that will take a, a while to, to change it. But it's possible on the long-term perspective. It is possible. And some companies like Sodexo, like L'Oreal, like some others have done it, are still in the process of doing it. It works on a long-term perspective. It's interesting what you're saying uh, um, about measurement because uh, obviously, uh, and, and that will be a little advertisement for uh, <laughs> Eve List, but uh, that's that's exactly what Eve List's premise was made on is like finding a way to measure that progress because no one has it right right now, and humility in that in with that regards is definitely important. And one of the elements we wanted to measure, uh, I want your opinion on that, was the progress of women equity at all stage of the pipeline. So, for example, some organizations start, because, because of the industry where they operate is, they start with a lot of women. Yeah. There's no problem. There's 50-50, sometimes there's even more women than men. But the more you grow in the organization, in senior position, the less women you can find. While other organizations will start with a quite modest number of women at the junior entry. But this number remains quite stable and throughout the organization. We have taken the decision to actually look at these organizations in a much more positive way on the score because they have maintained you know, that pipeline, which leads us to believe, and it's an assumption because it's very difficult to measure, but it leads us to believe that the opportunities remain the same and the culture has, you know, shaped around both men and women career. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. What I would say, uh, consider as uh, best performing companies is the company, mm -hmm. are the companies they are uh, changing the numbers. Okay, I understand the point saying, okay, if you have 15% women in your workforce and you have 15% women in your leadership team, uh, it's probably better than if you have 50% in the total workforce and only uh, 20% in, in the top uh, management. But what I think is important is to assess the commitment and the impact of decisions. So I mentioned, for instance, Credit Mutual, Arkea, Uh, they started uh, some uh, uh, years ago with a quite low number of women in the top managing position. They just appointed the new CEO who happens to be a woman, and they have increased and they have published a, a, a report on, uh, on gender equality that shows the progress. And I think that's where we can be very positive, saying, okay, you started perhaps slow, but you progress and you communicate on a regular basis. Yeah. You show your numbers, you are open, you are transparent. That's for me what success looks like. Absolutely. Can you give me, you, you were mentioned this organization, but you work with many and many people. What would you say were the most creative and successful initiatives you've seen so far? I would love to give you a magic one saying, okay, uh, the, <laughs> they are doing that and that. Actually, I think that the most successful companies are managing this topic very seriously in a very structured way. What doesn't work is uh, you have an initiative and you say, okay, it should change things. What works is when it's part of the strategy. So I don't know if it's creative, but if you look at this topic as being part of the HR agenda only, nothing will change. 
I'm afraid. So probably, and it's perhaps disappointing to say that, but the most creative way of addressing this topic is to, to have it at the top of the agenda of the organization, driven with strategy elements, with objective, with measurement, with actions, and uh, with also uh, people being assessed on their ability to drive diversity and inclusion. Nothing creative takes it, taking things seriously. Well, that's a good thing in a way, because that's something that most CEOs know how to do. <laughs> They know how to take it seriously, to make it a real business item and develop a strategy and execute on it. So, well, I take this as a great opportunity for organization to hear that and say, oh, this we can do. That's something it's, an, it's in our area of expertise. It's just a matter of wanting to do it and understanding why you're doing it. So in a few points, what would you say? Uh, awareness, so building empathy. That's the first thing. It's like the epiphany, yeah. touching the heart of the leaders. Mm -hmm. Second was making it a real business strategy with KPIs, measurements, yeah. and action. And then? Resources. Things will never happen alone. So you need to have people working on it. You know, I, I remember having uh, had the conversation with a company and they say, you know, this topic is so important that we want everybody to do it. So we have nobody managing it. Everybody is a responsibility. This doesn't work. It doesn't work. You will never see a company uh, saying, okay, you know, uh, finance management is critical to us. And as it is so critical, nobody will take care of finance. Why should it be the case for diversity and for gender diversity? So you need to have resources, not only in terms of people, but also sometimes some money to have some actions to do things, to help people to have their own epiphany, as you said, because it's not only at the top. So those resources and then measure, set your objectives and be humble in your objectives. I remember an example of a French company having set just incredible objectives, saying we'll move from 20% female managers to 35% in three years. And it was a big, big company, just impossible to reach. If you set impossible objective, that can kill the, the topic. So set objective, check the achievements, support things, and put it on the agenda for on the long-term perspective. And then reap the benefit because you are a company that's so much more attractive to talent. Absolutely, absolutely. There is no comparison, especially nowadays where it's so easy to know exactly what it means to work for such a company. If I want, for instance, to work for, I don't know, for Google or for Renault in France, uh, and I, if I want to have a, an idea of uh, their commitment to diversity and inclusion beyond communication, it's so easy to mm. get in touch with people, with social media, and uh, we have all the means today to know how it uh, it is to live in such a company. And we know that when uh, talented people have the choice, that's probably one of the first criteria they will uh, look at for an organization. Will I be included or not? Because I'm a man, I'm a white, I'm black, I'm uh, disabled or whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jean-Michel. It was great, great conversation this morning. I would like to ask you, because I think lots of people will be interested to connect with you or to follow your work. How can we stay in touch? How can our audience stay in touch with you and follow what you're doing? 
I'm on social media. I use them quite a lot. So on LinkedIn, you can follow me with my name, Jean-Michel Monod, Facebook too, Twitter too. And also I have a website which is called Be All Inclusive that can be easily uh, found on your uh, Google or, or Ping or, or whatever platform you use. Thank you very much. Have a great, great day. Thank you very much. And for you, Sophie, it's been a pleasure. That was a great conversation. And here is a quick peek into next episode. We will be talking about gender equity in the Arab world, and in particular in the financial services industry, with my guest Mercedes Monserrat, who is the Associate Director for International Affairs at the Abu Dhabi Global Market. In the meantime, you may contact us to give us some feedback, to give us some ideas about what you want to hear at hello at evelist.org. Perhaps there is an issue here that we need to clarify. So when we talk about gender equality, we don't talk about women. We talk about men and women. When we talk about empowering women, we don't talk about changing or women. We talk about coming up with frameworks that will allow talented individuals, regardless of their gender, to the top levels. So for us, then at ADGM, our gender equality team, we've got men and women because, again, it's, it's not a women's initiative. It's a talented, gender-neutral initiative that promotes that best talent to raise to the top.